Hello, welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Today, we'll be continuing our series in Acts. I want to talk to you about the adventure of prayer. I know you probably don't think of it as as an adventure, but um, I want to take you into one of the best things of being a Christian, believe it or not, is not forgiveness. Because if it was forgiveness... I would ask the question, forgiven for what? Uh, well, just to kind of live with myself the rest of my, war, my eternity and be forgiven. Forgiven for what? In, in human relationships, if someone forgives you, you have a relationship again. It's, it, you're, you can talk and you be together. Well, that's what our Christian life is. The best part of following Jesus is talking to him. That's the very best part. So uh, we're going to talk about talking to Jesus, but I'm going to take you in a direction that you may have not heard of before, and that is persevering prayer. I have discovered uh, through almost a half century of following Jesus, and that doesn't give me too much cred. I got to go for a whole century of following Jesus, and then I'll know what I'm talking about. I know. But I've discovered that prayer is work. And that's counter to what a lot of people think because you come to faith through grace. It's all Jesus. He bought the meal. He forgave you. He died for you. And you just believe him and you just kind of come in. And so you, we kind of, through the door of grace, treat prayer as I'll pray if I need to, or I'll pray if I want to, or I'll pray if I remember to pray, or I'll be that spontaneous jazz Christian that just kind of uh, improvises and just talk to Jesus whenever I feel like it or know about it. And all of that is good. Don't stop doing any of that. But the Bible will clearly show you today that persevering prayer changes the world. And God has given you an opportunity to co-sign his checks, uh, to see things happen through prayer and talking to God. Uh, The other day, I planted some flowers in our yard. I wanted to have butterfly flower, butterfly plants, uh, you know, perennials, so I don't have to ever plant them again. Uh, But you know, that was work. Now I stand back and I think, oh, the garden looks magical. And my granddaughters can come over and, and see butterflies happening. It will be magical. But it was work. There was a uh, sitcom years ago called Dobie Gillis. And, and every time Maynard G. Krebs, uh, who was uh, a beatnik, that's a word out of the 50s, uh, anytime he heard the word work, he would say, Work! Because uh, he didn't like work. But it was work planting those plants. I mean, our yard must be built on concrete. <laughs> I just... <laughs> and, you know, just trying to get through the earth to, uh, to plant these things. But now, I'm glad I did. And prayer is a little bit like that. You're not getting what you want what will you do? Will you give up or will you press through? So let's pray and dive in. Father, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you that we are not people who are just drifting through life, pretending to be our own popes 
and uh, deciding who you are and who you aren't on our own, that we have your holy word to lead and guide us. And so as we submit ourselves to your word, we ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to us in Jesus' name, amen. So if you look at your notes, there's something here that I'm going to bypass. It's just, uh, it has taken too much time and the services have gone too long, uh, but they're the hallmarks of the Antioch church that we covered last week, but this was a summary for you just to say, okay, this is a high watermark of a church that I want to be in. I want to be in a church that's intercultural, that Antioch church was interracial. I want to be in a church that makes the main thing the main thing, the gospel of Jesus Christ, for God so loved the world. I want to be a church where the leadership is humble, and it's a team. It's not one man who's the king of his little kingdom. Uh, I want to be a church that's outreach-oriented, missional, and not just Here I am, Jesus, again, bless me because I'm the center of my universe. I want to have training so I know what to do as I go out into the community. And I want a church that's compassionate and bridge building uh, to other churches. And you can see all the scriptures that I have for you there. But that is not the message. (laughs) That's just a a little hors d'oeuvre. That's duck tacos before we get into uh, the real message. So in chapter 12, you have this incredible story of Peter being set free from prison, and it's a miracle, and some of you are going to be challenged by this miracle because we live in a day and age that says miracles don't happen. Uh, Ever since the Enlightenment, where we said that only reason, if it's reasonable and only if it's scientific and replicable... Do we believe it? All the rest is just nonsense and fairy tales and hype. And, and you and I are Christians born into that world. And so you and I believe it was a miracle that Jesus rose from the dead. We believe it was a miracle that God even created the universe. And it's especially a miracle that God loves you. Just say it. That is a big miracle. So we're going to see a miracle this morning in the release of Peter. And let's read the story together. I don't need to tell it. That Luke does a fabulous job telling the story here. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church. So there was multiple people who were arrested by King Herod. This is uh, the grandson of Herod the Great. Uh, and, and this grandson has a similar personality of Herod the Great. Remember, Herod the Great was the one that had all the babies killed in Bethlehem because he was paranoid that the Messiah was going to come and take his kingdom away. And he did everything with the Roman emperor to get the power that he needed to rule what was called Palestine in that day. And he had the full power and the full territory of his grandfather. And he is just as hateful as his grandfather And he takes a step against this small group of Jewish followers of Jesus Hamashiach, the Messiah, and begins to lock them up. And it tells us that he had James, the brother of John, one of the original 12 disciples, put to death with the sword. 
When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. Now, when it says among the Jews, it's not talking about all of the Jews in the nation and making some racial comment. It's talking about the Sanhedrin leadership Jews who were anti-Jesus, anti-apostles and disciples, and they were pleased when the king took this stand against this fledgling group of Christians. This happened during the festival of the unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. So there's these four rotations that happen uh, throughout the 24 hours. Six hours, four guards on Peter. Two that he's chained to on either side, and two that are outside his jail cell uh, guarding his cell, as then there's all the other guards that are in the prison guarding the prison. So this is solitary confinement, high security on Peter. So that's important in this miraculous release. Herod intended to bring him out for a public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison Here's the verse we're going to pivot around. And the church was earnestly praying to God for him. We're going to come back to that verse. So the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. The sentries stood guard at the entrance. There's the four. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared a light shone in the cell. It's like the, the, the angel can't help but glow. <laughs> and he strikes Peter on the side. You know, I just see him slapping Peter's leg uh, and wakes him up. And he says, quick, get up. He said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Whoa. I guess if you're an angel, you can do that. Chains. Just go off. Now you're asking, well, what, what are the guards doing? Well, we are to assume that the angel has also done what angels can do, kind of the Yoda move, uh, where they, they just stare or go to sleep or something that allows the angel to do just what angels do. So then the angel said, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. He wrapped, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. He says, so now put on your coat and let's go. And the angel told him, and so Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. Have you ever had a dream where you're wondering, is this a dream or am I really awake? So Peter is assuming, oh, this is either a dream or a vision, hard to distinguish at this point since you're just laying there, um, that this is really happening. But it's a cool dream because I'm getting out of prison in this dream. They passed through the first and then the second guards, and they came to the iron gate, watch this, leading to the city, and it opened for them by itself. Angel move again. So it, ain't, it opens by itself. And then when they had walked the length of one street, meaning together, suddenly the angel left him. 
So he's standing now at the corner, and he's out of prison, and he realizes, oh my gosh, this is not a dream. This is not a vision. This is for real. And so when Peter came to himself, he said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. So this is big. This is not just Peter getting out of prison. This is with the, the darkness and the light warring against one another. God wins. Herod is winning. He's locking up Christians. And now with Peter, God makes his move. Peter is released. And if you read the rest of the chapter, you find out that Herod, rather than looking as if he's politically uh, to be esteemed by the Jewish leaders, now he's got his tail between his legs. He goes down to Caesarea, and God calls him on it, and Herod dies publicly in Caesarea. Herod takes the stand against the church, and God takes his stand against Herod. Now, that may not mean much to you, but in the persecuted church world, that is huge because you're wondering, where is God? Does God care? Does God care about the advancing of the gospel? And the answer is yes, he does care. And so beautifully in this story, God wins. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who is also called Mark, who is also the nephew of Barnabas. And we're going to see that Mary, this Mary, is probably a wealthy woman. She's, she's got a house big enough to have a large prayer meeting going on inside of her house. She has a servant, at least one servant. Not everybody could afford a servant in those days. And uh, she has an outer gate that separates them uh, from the inner gate in in the inner part of the house. So where many people had gathered and they were praying, and here's where Luke couldn't help but include this part of the story just because it's so humorous. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back with without opening it, and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. So picture this. So there's maybe 30, 40, maybe 60 people gathered there praying, oh God, if you were ever God, this is the time to be God. This is the moment your church is this, and Peter's locked up, and they're doing this. God, where are you? You need to, so this is going on. There's a knock at the door. Rhoda goes over to the door, and she says, who is it? And he says, it's Peter, open the door. She runs back to the prayer meeting saying, Peter's at the door. And now watch what they say to her. You're out of your mind. (laughs) So is anybody believing what they're praying? But she keeps insisting that it was so. No, no, Peter really is there. No, no, he really is there. Rather than bringing him in. (laughs) 
So they finally just come up with a really lame theology. It must be his angel. What does that mean? You know, that his guardian angel is not guarding him? So Peter keeps knocking. <laughs> and finally, when they opened the door, they saw him, and they're astonished. Believing prayer. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And then he says, tell James and the other brothers. James is the pastor of the Jerusalem church who is also the half-brother of Jesus uh, who writes the book of James later on in your Bible. And the sisters, tell the brothers and sisters about this. Then, and then he left for an undisclosed place, another place. In the morning... There was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had made thorough search uh, for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed, which is what happens with guards who do not guard. So what a story, huh? Amazing story. Uh, Something we'd like to see put to film, right? So in verse 5, it tells us the reason for this miracle. The reason for this miracle is the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Now, you may believe that prayer does nothing, that it just is there to make you feel good, and that God was just going to do it anyway. So, Kesarah, Sarah, God's going to do whatever he's going to do. And a lot of people just live that way, which is pretty much a fatalistic view of the world. Or that God has put you and I in a very powerful place. That when he created you at the very beginning, Genesis 1.26, and said, let us make man in our image, male and female, he created them and said, rule rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and all the creepy crawlies and everything that moves on the earth, that he made you and I, king man, queen woman of the earth, to reflect the nature of God. Obviously, the fall happened, and so rarely do you see someone that looks like God. But now that we're redeemed, certainly part of our redemption is taking up the mantle of our spiritual destiny and ruling in the sense of co-signing God's checks in terms of what he wills and what he wants on planet earth. There's very few Christians that I meet in the West that think this way. I meet them all the time in the East. I meet them all the time in the persecuted world. But oftentimes we're just kind of lulled to sleep. And today is a day to just wake you up to the opportunity of prayer. It's not a a should day. It's not an ought day. I'm not going to do that to you. I think you know me better than that. I'm not going to should you, and I'm not going to ought you. Uh, We're adults, so I'm just going to hand you an opportunity, and you as an adult can decide if that's an opportunity that you want to avail yourself on, and that is to get to know God better and to change the world through prayer. And I'll give you some practical helps at the end. 
So as we read on here and think about this subject of prayer, I want to take you back to verse 5 where it says, the church was earnestly praying to God. This idea of earnestly praying, this word is a unique word. Later on, I'll give you two other words that are used more commonly in the New Testament, but all three words have the idea of persevering prayer. This particular word means to stretch out like a runner reaching for the finish line, straining to achieve what God has given you to achieve, and that's the prayer that's described. You see, it's kind of working prayer, that this is God, what I believe you want to do, and this is what I'm praying for. It could have a sense of intensity, but I'm not going to emphasize that because I don't know how to get intense. Um, I've been around intense people, but they're not often people that I would say are people of faith. Uh, Oftentimes we think of intensity having some kind of bodily manifestation. And so people who have heard about intense prayer will do something like this in a prayer meeting where they suck air through their teeth, rock up on their toes, and and go, oh, God, and that's supposed to be intense. Now, I don't know if that accomplishes anything or not. I just don't know. know. But I don't think that that's necessarily a reflection on faith, and faith is key. So I think... As you look at the other two words that are used, one in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, and then a scad of them using the word proskartereo, used over and over again, it has the idea of not stopping. Keep going. Don't quit. And that could be either in one moment or it could be over days and weeks and months. This is my assignment, and I'm going to keep praying for this particular thing. So you might ask the question, why don't we press through in prayer? And I would answer, I think, well, some people just don't believe. Like here, they they just didn't expect the answer. Uh, Or we don't want to feel the pain of being disappointed by continuing to believe and press on Or we say things like, well, I don't know what God's will is. Does he want it? Does he not want it? I don't know. Let's just stop praying. Or we might say, well, it just takes time. I mean, think of it. It, Whether it's all in one moment, that might might take an hour uh, to pray. And, And I would reflect and say, well, then I guess you don't really want it. Or if we say, well, that would, like if I prayed for that person every day, that would be like, three minutes every day. And I would say, and your point is, I guess we don't really want it, or I just don't trust the nature of God, etc., etc. So this idea of persevering, think of it. Every single thing in life that's good, you persevere for. 
you want it. You want that job. I'm going to, I'm going to apply to it. I'm going to study for it. I'm going to earn the money for this car I want. Everything takes perseverance, and we're surprised somehow when, when, when perseverance is attached to prayer. We expect it to just be like picking something off of a tree, and sometimes it is. Certainly, sometimes it is. But the Bible over and over, and I challenge you to look at all these scriptures, you find the unceasing, persevering, keep going kind of prayer. In fact, let me give you two parables that Jesus, your master Lord, taught you. The first is found in Luke 11, where Jesus in the Gospel of Luke gives the Sermon on the Mount. And so the context is prayer alone. And then Jesus gives us this sense of pressing in in prayer. And he gives us the, the funny parable. It's, it's supposed to be humorous uh, because of the way it's put. Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, another friend has come to my house, so lend me three loaves of bread. And the person in the house says to you, don't bother me. The, Lord, the door is already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. So that's the funny story. First of all, no one would come at midnight to your house, right? So Jesus, this is classic Jesus. He exaggerates every point for you to see the humor of it to get the point across. Midnight. A friend comes to you. You don't want just one loaf of bread. You want three loaves of bread. Your friend is already asleep. This is a one-bedroom house. So if one person gets up, everybody's going to wake up. Uh, that's just the way hamsters are. You know, if one moves, they, they all move. And so your neighbor says, go away. Are you kidding me? So Jesus says, I tell you. Because the man persists and knocks and knocks and knocks. Finally, your neighbor says, all right, already, and throws a thousand loaves of bread at you. <laughs> now, you can see why his listeners would laugh and listen to this story. And Jesus follows up with the words you have quoted and you've heard all your life. Knock, and the door will be opened to you ask and you will receive. And he goes on to say, would you as a, a good father give your, your son who asks for a fish, a scorpion? No. And he gives you this idea that your good father wants to open the door and give you what you want. Lesson learned, right? We get it. But what is the lesson? Don't give up. Keep going. Come on. The second time he teaches this is seven chapters later, Luke 18. And the chapter begins telling us the moral of the parable. He says, Jesus was teaching his disciples that they ought always to pray and not give up. That's, that's the lesson right there. So he says, this time there was this unjust judge. Now he's going to exaggerate again. It, it's not just a good guy. It's a really bad guy. He's an unjust judge. And the, Jesus says, and this judge didn't care about what people thought. And he didn't care even what God thought. 
just going to do his own thing. And this widow, so it's a widow now. So she has no power in society. Her husband has died. No one's there to defend her in this male world. And she goes to the judge. So you see the exaggeration here. And she asks the judge for justice. And the judge says, get out of here, lady. And then the lady comes back and says, I want justice. He says, get out of here, lady. She comes back. She comes back. She comes back. And finally, in the parable, the judge says, so all right already, what is it you want? Just to get you out of my life, I will give you whatever you want. Now, first-time readers of the Bible who aren't used to parables and hyperbole They think, whoa, is that the way God is? God is an unjust judge. I just learned that God is an unjust judge and God doesn't care about anything, including little widows that are just... And I think, hello, is this your first time to read literature? Um, This is a parable blowing everything out into extremes. Now read on. Jesus says... How much more, in contrast, will your not unjust judge, heavenly father, your heavenly daddy, answer you quickly? But then he asked the question at the end, but will the son of man find faith on the earth when he comes again? And the answer is, if we are persisting in prayer, yes. Because the lesson was, you ought always to pray and not give up. So that's a part of Christianity. That's a part of simple discipleship. Not because you ought to, but you get to. For heaven's sakes, if I, I, if I promised you, you know, you could have a mansion up in Rancho Santa Fe. It's got your name on it. All you have to do, here's the key to the front gate. Here's the code to the second gate, and here's the key to the house. And you say, oh, for heaven's sakes, I don't want a house with three keys. <laughs> what planet were you born on? If I say to you that you can change the world through persistent prayer, and you say to me, well, for heaven's sakes, I don't want to persist in prayer. I just want to ask once and walk away. And I say, well... Aren't you the king and princess of something? Uh, Some things, I don't know why, but it's not because of God. Maybe it's because we're in a fallen world. Maybe because it's a broken world. But there's a persistency that God has called us to that opens the door. Keep going. Now, let me take you up for a moment, because I've thought about this a lot. This is not my first rodeo. And I, in my own personal life, have thought about prayer a ton. And so, can I bring you into my mind and let you think about pr- I may be wrong, uh, but uh, I'm consistently wrong now for 45 years. So, let me bring you into my mind. This is the way most people think about prayer. It's very simple. It's like a commodity. You go into Rite Aid, you pick something off the shelf, you bring it to the cashier, you buy it, and you go, then that's prayer. God, I need this. Thank you, God. Amen. (laughs) Prayer 
to God through the name of Jesus and answer comes. But if you are a Christian long enough, you'll begin to discover that there's some other things involved. It's not just prayer to God. He has a will. He has a will. He has a way that he wants to do things. And there's a certain timing. Now, the will, we can actually discover. Not everything, but the will is that God ultimately wants everything to be put right. It's found in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Meaning, make it good like heaven. That's God's will. But, and one day, you and I will live in a perfect heaven and a perfect earth. That is God's will. God's will is for you individually and for all of society to have ultimate justice. That's why the Messiah came. That is God's will. God's will is that your body, that your soul, that your relationships would thrive. That is your will. That is God's will. And if you tell me, well, no, God just wants you to be sick forever, like into eternity, because that's who God is. Well, that's, that presents kind of a capricious God that may be wicked, may be good. Now, let me just push pause for a moment, because I know some of you are going to push back on me on this one. And it's, it's your theology. Your theology says, when I pray, I don't know his will. So I'm just going to say, God, I don't know your will. Um, you might want to do good today, or you might not want to do good. You might want to give me a job, or you maybe it's not your will to give me a job. You might want to heal me, or you may not want to heal me. I don't know what your will is. So whatever, be God today. Amen. So I would just say to you, could you not come and pray for me when I'm in the hospital? <laughs> Listen, I know I'm, I'm joking about our theology here that we kind of all grow up. I don't know what he wants to do. I don't know, God, you know. But I think we do know. We don't follow a bad God. We, if we follow a good God. So his will is ultimately to get it right. I just don't know when, okay? I don't know when, and I don't know how he's going to do that. That's God's God prerogative. But I'm, when I visit you in the hospital, I'm not going to say, God, you may want to heal them, or you may want to make them sicker. Your choice. You with me? So I think we have to agree. We follow a good God. Can we just all agree with that? And that is his ultimate will. I'm using not just his will, but his ultimate will. Some Christians talk about ultimate will and temporary will. And I, I get that. I, I get how we talk about that. But when we talk about that, it's almost as if we forget that this is a broken world. We are Jews living in Germany. That's the picture the Bible describes, that we are living in enemy territory. It's a broken world. And, and here we are, we've discovered a good God. So I need to know that his way and timing are beyond me. 
We move from commodity transaction to now transformational prayer. Prayer is not just going to God and making him your cosmic bellhop that does what you want. I have discovered that prayer will change you. Yeah, there's a kickback to prayer. You're praying for this and whoa, it changes you. That's why the arrow goes back towards the prayer. And there's this interpersonal thing that begins to happen. Years ago, I did a a research for my dissertation and it was um, uh, uh, an empirical study on pastors in Southern California, four different denominations, a random sample, nobody knew anything about what the other was doing. And I wanted to know about their burnout rate and their depression. and, and um, I can't go into all the details of it, but one of the secondary questions I asked them was about their prayer life and whether they prayed a commodity prayer, transactional prayer, or whether they prayed interpersonally with God and spent time with him. Did you know what I found out? The people who only went to God for transaction had a higher rate of burnout and depression, pastors. And the pastors that experienced an interpersonal relationship with God had a lower rate of depression or burnout. So there's this wonderful benefit of prayer that is actually changing you, because guess what? You're talking to God. Now, if you want a lot of space on the elevator... As you go to the office tomorrow, just tell people when you get on the elevator, there's 15 people, just say, what have you guys all been doing this morning? I've been talking to God and having an interpersonal relationship with him. And they'll just move back from you, give you all the elbow room you need. So, but there's other things to think about when it comes to prayer. We pray in faith. Faith Without faith, it is impossible to please God. you got to believe. Now, here's where it gets tricky because most Christians, particularly who are raised in a miraculous environment, believing in miracles, uh, will tell me, I say, what do you believe? And they'll say to me, I believe that God can do it. No, I believe he will do it. And I'm not sure about that in terms of timing and method, because it's out of my control. But the Bible doesn't emphasize that. It doesn't emphasize he can and he will. It emphasizes that he is. So it's who he is that I'm believing. I believe that he's good. I believe that he's here. I believe that he's powerful. And I believe that he cares. That's what I believe because it's the nature of God. And I'm not going to stop believing in this. That is bedrock. And that is going to be challenged in your prayer life. Because when you don't get an answer, that you're going to be tempted. Well, I don't know who God is. He doesn't get me. You know, I don't know. And faith continues to say, no, he's good. He's loving This is just something I don't understand about method and timing, but he's a good God. Let's go on. So here is the crux of the matter. 
disappointment. Every single Christian, are you still there? I'm excited about this. I was just checking in. Um, Every single person here, bar none, is going to experience disappointment sometime in your prayer life. Can I get an amen on that one? Yeah. You will. You're praying for the significant other to come into your life, and it hasn't happened. You're praying for a job. It hasn't happened. You're praying for God to heal you of your your disease. You're praying for something, and it hasn't happened. And I call it pulling a faith muscle. It's, it's disillusioning. I'm telling you, I've been through that. Broke my heart. It, it kept me from getting close to God for a couple of years. I didn't know. God, who are you? Because you didn't answer this prayer. It led to disappointment. And that disappointment will make you to the far left, either bitter or better. Guaranteed. You will get stuck as a Christian and just say, well, I just don't know. And you become a bitter old soul or just kind of a complacent old soul. It just says, whatever. Let's just sit in the pew every week. Let's just go. But I'm, I'm not in anymore. And you just stop growing. Or you emerge better. So how do you emerge better? Right here, the arrow pointing to who he is and the arrow pointing to his will. You are in this uh, crisis. The crossroads is do I, in spite of getting the answer now that I want, do I believe that he loves me? Do I believe he's good, that he's kind, he's not capricious, that someday, I don't know how, Do I believe? And faith says, yes. I'm going to press on. And every person that you read that's a hero in the Bible is that person. It's that Hannah, that person that keeps praying and praying and praying and praying. It's that Daniel that in persecution throws open the doors, says, you know, we're going to keep praying. So, out of that, you emerge more a person of faith because you, you experienced some pushback and you kept going. I don't know anything about bodybuilding. I don't know anything about staying in shape. I try. But they tell me you got to break down uh, your body to build it. And you gotta, you got to strain your muscles. you got to challenge them to to, to move on. I think in the spiritual realm, it's the same way. There's a moment that God challenges you and said, okay, you believe in me at the carnival while well, I'm getting, giving you all the cotton candy and candy apples you want. But do you believe in me when it gets tough? So out of this, we emerge better. And what I find is that faith in who he is perseveres, doesn't give up. Just say, okay, I'm going to press on. I'm going to press on. And we also discover, uh, keep going, that there's a few other things. Now this, welcome to my psychosis. (laughs) Uh, Some of you are familiar with structural equations, and I'm not going to go into all of that 
if the, this were structural equations, I would be giving a percentage to each of these, which I'm not able to do. But uh, I've discovered that fasting intensifies my prayer. I, I don't think it's for God. God doesn't say, whoa, I like that, you know? <laughs> it would have been better if it wasn't just a juice fast. You know, I, I, don't, think, <laughs> I don't think there's magic in fasting where you put God's arm behind his back and say, I wasn't going to give you yes, but now that you fasted for three days, I got to... I don't think it's like that, but I think fasting is for me. It wakens my soul when I feel my body hungering. My, my body is telling my soul that you really want this. And I use the, the lunch hour that I would normally be eating to say, God, could you do something here? And and I'm praying. So fasting, uh, persevering. If the Spirit is speaking to me some words that come to me in prayer, pray along what the Spirit is guiding you in. And if I encourage you to do two or more. If you're in a home Bible study, if you're fellowship, something where you bring some people into what you're praying for, that you trust, say, could we bond together on this? Could we agree in prayer, just like in Acts chapter 12? So all of that blows strongly towards answered prayer, but there are some deterrents. The devil. You rarely hear me give the devil any credit because he likes all the limelight. He, can get, he loves people to talk about him. Uh, but I will say this, that he doesn't want you to pray. He will distract you. He will put you to sleep. He will make your mind wander because he doesn't want you to pray. Um, and sin will block answers to prayer. You know, where we tell the devil to go away, but as we slam the door on his face, we put our foot in the door. Oh, you're still here? And you're still giving in to the temptation? That will block the power of prayer. The, the Bible refers to it two, if not three different times in the New Testament. When Jan and I were dating and we had our first argument, um, I experienced this firsthand. Uh, I, I went away from the argument. We, we were just, uh, our first year of dating, we dated three years before we got married. And I don't know what the argument was about, but she was definitely wrong, and I was definitely right. <laughs> and so I walked away, and I, I found this bridge. I wasn't going to jump off of it, because it was only six feet off the ground. <laughs> There's a little bridge over a stream, uh, and I sat on the bridge, and I prayed these very words. I, I, I had not been a Christian more than uh, two years, and I said... God, it's so heartbreaking. Would you please show Jan how wrong she is? <laughs> I know what you're thinking, but I, I want you to think that, that I was an arrogant blah, 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 you know? And, and so uh, these words came back to my mind, and I think it was the spirit, because I wasn't thinking of this at all. The words were, I can't hear you. And I said, oh, great. So now I can't even pray 
uh, because of her. You can see how messed up I was. So I thought, ah, oh, my life is ruined. I can't, I'm not close to Jan. Now I'm not close to God. My, my sin is hindering my prayer life. So then I went back to Jan with my tail between her legs and I said, I, I think my apology was even lame to her. She was amazing and I was lame. I think I said, you know, I want to apologize for the 5% of, of my part. <laughs> and then finally, uh, I fully apologized. You know. But that's the point. If you think you can have broken, unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, and then just go have a good time with God, you know, it's much more holistic than that. So sin is an important deterrent to know about when it comes to prayer. Uh, what's next on the slide? Did that, that, oh, and then what we're praying for is on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we want in every specific area. So that's a big global picture of prayer. Now, what I want to do in just the last few minutes is just kind of bring it home practically to you. Some of you, you would say to me, wow, Mark, I don't even pray. And others of you say, well, I pray occasionally when I think about it. Uh, and then others of you might say, well, I pray a little bit in the morning, a little bit at night or whatever. Uh, let, me, let me challenge you to become a person who perseveres. Elijah was that man. He, he prayed for rain. That's a big thing. Remember our drought? He prayed for rain. And then after he had this time of session of prayer, he sent his servant on Mark, Mount Carmel to go look. Any clouds? And the servant came back and said, no boss, zero. So what did Elijah do? He said, wow, I guess God doesn't love me. I guess it doesn't work. I guess I... No, Elijah says, whoa, well, then we need to pray again. And so he prayed again. And he told his servant, go look. The servant comes back, zippo, zero, seven times. The seventh time, the servant comes back and says, there's this little wisp of a cloud forming. And Elijah says, oh my gosh, we got to get down the mountain. There's a thunderstorm coming. <laughs> Even Jesus, when he prayed for the man to be healed with his eyes, he asked the blind man, now what do you see? And the man says, I see everybody like blurry trees. And what did Jesus say? Well, that's the best I can do. <laughs> Jesus said, let's pray again. So even Jesus persevered in prayer. So here's what I would suggest you do. Pick a place, pick a time. I know you pray all the day and when you think of it, and that, that's awesome. I know you do jazz and you improvise. That's awesome. But when do you practice? When do you discipline yourself to be alone with God? And I would pick a place, let it be in your living room, let it be in your bathroom, let it be... Uh, on the beach. The second thing I would do is, I know there'll be interruptions, no guilt, no condemnation, but as regularly as you can, get a rhythm going. 
Thirdly, I would suggest, yeah, some of you are starting to write these down. Yeah, I would suggest that, um, is whisper out loud your prayers. I know God hears your brain, but if you want your prayer life to be personal and significant, don't just think good thoughts. Um, Talk to him. Let your ears hear your words come out of your mouth. It'll change everything. Have you ever gone on a date with your spouse and just thought good thoughts back and forth? I mean, you, you do know each other pretty well, and you probably could predict what the other person's saying. It just doesn't make the date very amazing. So, and so, and if you're going to do it like me on the beach, I would suggest that um, you do it at an hour where there's not a scat of people around, because they'll think you're psychotic. You know, you're just one of those people that's walking along, talking uh, to whomever. And then I would pick a certain structure. Sometimes you're going to just go jazz in this time, and you're just going to pray what comes to your mind. You're praying in the Spirit as the Spirit guides you. But I like to use my default to be the Lord's Prayer. And I was just challenging, what better prayer could there be than the Jesus Prayer? You got a better one? Jesus taught his disciples, and here's how it goes. It's got five things. Number one, praise and thanks. Heavenly Father, hallowed be thy name. You establish, oh, he's not just a God, 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 divine, uh, omnipotent one, but he's your dad. He's your father. And God, you're awesome. Hallowed. Holy. Uh, Thank you for this, this, this. Then you move on. Thy will be done. That's what we want. And that gives God a big, wide swath to deal with of of what, what you want to be done. Let it be done on earth as it is in heaven. But of course, I'm not you and you're not me. So I particularly pray for God's will to be done in my life, uh, in Jan's life, in my sons and daughters' lives, my grandkids' lives. I want God's will today in their lives. Now, each one of us has an area of responsibility where we're watch keepers, gatekeepers, and um, I believe we're watchmen on the wall. So whatever your area of responsibility is, uh, that's our responsibility. So I pray not only for my family, uh, my dad, I pray for... uh, our staff and their families, and I pray for you. Uh, Some of the things I specifically know about and then pray generally that God, I I prayed for you today, that you would come hungry, you know, for the word of God, that God would work in your life. And I think God answers those prayers. Thy will be done. And then I move on to daily bread. Daily bread is easy because these are the specific things you want. I need healing. I need uh, a job for this person. I need this, 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 the daily bread. Uh, And usually those things, I need them again tomorrow, and I need them again because I'm persisting on those things. And then I ask him to forgive us with his great forgiveness 
Can you imagine all of the sins that God sees with a church this size? Can you imagine? But I think in this role, in our family, in our, re- in our marriages, that we're priests, that we pray, God, forgive, and make us a forgiving people. And then finally, protect us, deliver us from evil, and lead us not into temptation. Keep us far away from temptation because we're weak. Amen. Amen. So can you imagine if you decide, I'm doing this. This is like being a wizard that I can actually change the world, not through magic, but through the person of Jesus. Would you do it? Absolutely. Persevering prayer. Let's pray. Father, we pray now that you would take this word and take it home into our lives, that this great adventure of prayer would be ours. And we ask this, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.